Well, we're again thrilled to be together. We're pumped you guys are with us. We're gonna have a great morning and over the next few minutes have a great time together. Um, you know, we're just really, really excited about our fall outreach and some of the things that were able to happen through our fall outreach. And we just wanted to give you guys a shout out uh, just for all the work. So we served at Arcade Mission twice over October and November, and it was just amazing. Here's some pictures from last Sunday, where once again we were able to, uh, I think, serve close to 180 meals. We went in, prepared these meals together, and you guys did such a great, all the, all the people that participated did such a great job at just handing these meals out at the door. The dining room was open to serve those who were houseless to come in and be able to sit and eat a meal. And uh, we're just so thankful for you guys. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for your work, your service. Thank you for just what you've been able to do. Uh, I think this is kind of a budding partnership now with Arcade, and we'll let you know about more opportunities in the future. But it, it did, it was amazing. We were able to give uh, over $1,000 through these meals to Arcade. So thank you to you guys. And I just wanted to say real quick, as we kind of talk for a second just about, because we don't talk about money a lot, but as we take a second just to talk about giving, um, you know, this is what your giving goes to. One of the things we've wanted to do here in a really meaningful way, thoughtful way, is that when you contribute to our church community, we don't have a lot of overhead, we don't have a building, we don't have offices, uh, I'm the only staff member. We tried, uh, we've really tried over the last number of years to um, be able to do this in a way where we could give and out of our general budget be able to support local things like this. This is really our hope. And so I just want to let you know that if you contribute regularly to our community, uh, there it is in action. So thank you for your hands and feet, uh, the work that you guys did in preparing, but as well, thank you for the, the, the regular ongoing contributions to our community. We're just excited that we're able to see the output of our work in and through uh, things like our arcade and other things this fall that we've been able to give to, especially during a time where it's very uncertain for church in a lot of ways. Um, we feel like we've set things up here in a way where we're able to continue to be generous and we just want to see that grow over the next little while. So here, here, I hope you can hear our heart in all of that, that uh, this is one of the reasons why um, we have kind of set things up as far as the praxis economy. We want to be able to be good stewards of that and bless our community. So thank you, thank you. All right, if you have a Bible, let's do this. We're going to continue on. Uh, open up with me to Mark chapter 13. Sorry, Mark chapter 10, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 10. We're currently in a series right now called Dear Wormwood, uh, looking at C.S. Lewis' masterpiece, The Screwtape Letters. And it's not a book study or anything. Basically what it is is we're just looking at some key phrases in the text that looks at how a senior demon named Screwtape who writes a junior demon named Wormwood, how they work together to manipulate and deceive a Christian. And here's one thing that Screwtape says to Wormwood. This is what he says. This is probably one of the things that stuck out to me most in this particular book. This is what Screwtape says. He says, Once you have made the world an end, and faith a means, you have almost won your man or won your patient. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Let me read it again. Once you've made the world an end and faith a means to that end, you have almost won your patience. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Interesting here. Screwtape 
you know, it's not these major things that Screwtape is writing Wormwood about and how they're going to kind of derail the Christian or the human. It's the little subtle ways. And it's just interesting here in the language that Screwtape is like, yo, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get them to think that faith or Jesus or God is a means to an end and ultimately that end being worldly things. Now, I mean, this is probably the thing, again, that stuck out to me most as I read through the screw tape letters once again just a few months ago. This is like on, this thing is on my dashboard as far as Jesus becoming a means to an end because I think it actually speaks to all of us. And it's really not that far off as well from some of the things the disciples, Jesus' very own disciples experienced in their moment and in their time. John, or sorry, Mark chapter 10, Jesus has obviously kicked off and inaugurated his ministry. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's traveling. He's seeing all these beautiful signposts of the kingdom of God happening. People are being healed and set free. There's all sorts of things happening that are beautiful. Jesus is traveling from town to tr- town, proclaiming the kingdom and the good news of the gospel. And it says this in Mark 10, read with me, verse 35. This is we're, we are not the only ones prone to making Jesus a means to an end. Listen to what happens with the disciples here. Mark 10, verse 35, it says this. Then James and John, and just a side note, James and John, very close to Jesus, would have been very much in his inner circle. They were known as the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Hello. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they answered, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 other disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, did you hear here in the disciples' language? And this is, I mean, it's pretty blatant right in your face. Hey, Jesus. We want you to do something for us. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And there's a sense here that in all that's happening, the disciples are feeling the magnitude of what Jesus is doing. They're feeling, especially as Jewish dudes, they're feeling the magnitude of what is going to happen. In their framework, they ultimately thought the kingdom of God was coming through a Messiah to earth. They they thought this would be established in their time on the earth. And obviously there's tons of misconceptions in and through their whole understanding of what was going to happen. But ultimately they are clamoring, James and John are, to get to the top and get to Jesus right and left. They want to be the ones that are at Jesus right and left, ultimately using Jesus as a means to an end. There's a sense and a glimpse here that it's easy for all of us to kind of walk in a way in which we want Jesus to get us somewhere. 
Jesus, we want Jesus to get us to a place of power or a place of influence or a place of prosperity in our lives where we're maybe with him, but ultimately it's something that benefits us. And this is all over the gospels, actually. As I was thinking this morning and kind of waking up this morning, I thought back to Mark chapter one, where the same thing is happening. Jesus is healing people, setting people free, doing all this. And Jesus' disciples basically come to him and say, listen, Jesus, the crowds are coming. We need you to kind of set up shop here. We need you to, to continue to do what you're doing in this place and time to, to help these people. And there's a sense in the disciples' language that they want to set up shop and they want to see this happen. And Jesus says, listen, I want to go to the villages. I want to do the thing that the Father has called me to do, which is to proclaim the gospel. And yet the disciples' language was, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. There's a human tendency for us to want God to get us somewhere. And again, Screwtape is saying to Wormwood, if we, we don't want these guys, these, this, these patients necessarily to completely fall off. What we want is we want them to slowly in their lives make Jesus, the church, faith, God, however you want to articulate it, we want to make those things a means to a worldly, worldly end. I even think of Jesus ascending to heaven at ascension and the disciples are wrestling through the reality that Jesus has been with them and done all this stuff and now he's kind of out of here and the, 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 the tension in their own lives to think, what is going to happen now? This idea that like, man, no, Jesus, you cannot, you cannot leave us. Because there's a lie, I think, that can that take precedent in our lives that Jesus is simply a means to an end. That God, somehow along the way in our lives, becomes a means to an end. Now, what I want to do quickly, really quickly, I, I mean, this could manifest itself in all sorts, it does manifest itself in all sorts of different ways in our culture, in our moment, in our time. And one of the things we've wanted to do through these teachings is obviously look at the biblical text and what's going on. But we also want to ask how this manifests itself in our time and ultimately what it means for us. Some of the best ways to approach the Bible is to look at what it meant for the people in that time, but obviously we live in much of a different day. It's not that we're necessarily wanting to become the early church as much as we want to become the church in our time and how God wants to work through us. And I actually think this one's sneaky. I mean, they're all sneaky in how screw tape is working, but this one is particularly sneaky because it can be masked in spirituality, right? This idea of kind of coming alongside Jesus to get somewhere, it's very, very sneaky in our culture. And so it manifests itself in a number of different ways. But I want to look at three particular ways in which this kind of kind of rears its head in our culture. Okay? Three things. Prosperity, politics, and power. Prosperity, politics, and power. Prosperity. You know, it is easy in our moment to kind of shape an idea in our hearts that God is on a mission to get me somewhere, that God has to get me where I want to go so that I will be blessed. And it happens in little subtle ways and it happens in blatant ways. So I'm a sports guy. I love sports, as you know. There's a guy named uh, Stevie Johnson who played a wide receiver a number of years ago, played for the Buffalo Bills. Some of you guys know you're in fantasy football with me. You remember him. He was like a two or three year guy where he was like a number one guy. Anyways, this is my life. Sorry. Um, but Stevie Johnson, it was so funny. A number of years ago, final play of the game to win the game. He's in the end zone. Wide open. The ball is just gently lobbed to him in the end zone. He's right there. He gets paid to do this. He should have made the catch. The ball's coming right to him, and it goes right through his hands. 
And of course, in Buffalo Bills fashion, the Bills lose. I mean, this was a gimme. He should have caught the ball. And afterwards, he was interviewed. Obviously, the media comes into the room and they ask Stevie Johnson about this final play and all that happened and all that transpired in this play. And this is what Stevie Johnson said. He said this, I praise you 24-7 and this is how you do me. You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this ever. And here's Stevie Johnson, obviously talking about God. And he says, listen, God, it's to the media. It's saying, listen, God, I praise you 24-7. And this is how you do me. I drop the ball. And it's, this is blatant, right? Like this is in your face kind of this posture of God wanting to prosper me. But I think we need to like take this actually this example into consideration of what it's saying. What Johnson is saying is, listen, God pulls all the strings and I praise him. And because I praise him, he's going to get me somewhere. And the way in which he's going to get me to where I want to go is I'm going to catch the ball for the winning touchdown. And when I drop that ball, it's not my fault. It's God's fault because I praise him 24 hours a day and he's putting me on a trajectory somewhere. And again, this is blatant, but it's interesting how these ideas kind of these guy ideas kind of creep in. By the way, it's fascinating here that Stevie Johnson actually thinks that God controls everything, right down to God being interested in whether he catches a football or not, which is a whole nother story and a whole nother series that we'll probably do at some point. But uh, it sounds like almost like Stevie Johnson is a Calvinist, thinking that you know God is in control of everything. I'm going to catch the ball, and when I don't, obviously I'm really disappointed because he doesn't do what I want. But these things pervade our culture. You've heard me talk about the Grammys a few years ago where somebody got up after a winning an award and on the back wall was their music video, which was laced with idolatry and foul language and all sorts of things. And the first thing that came out of their mouth was, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's almost like there's a po- there almost can be a posture where I follow you, God, or I praise you, God, and you get me what I want. And I want to, I want, really want us to guard. I, I don't think it's blatant like that for us, but you see it in culture. But the little subtle ways in which we can think, I'm going to give so that I get. That there's somehow like returns on me being obedient. So I'm going to be obedient. We saw this in purity culture in the 80s and 90s. If, I, if I'm pure, then I'm going to have the best sex in marriage. Or if I do this, then ultimately God is going to make everything perfect in my life. And I think we got to guard from Jesus becoming a means to an end when it comes to the flourishing of our lives. Now, is there instruction in the scripture about obedience? Obviously, yes, obviously. But... I think we have to guard our hearts. And I think this is what Screwtape wants to do. He wants us to take God and use it as a vehicle to our own desires for our own lives. And we need to guard from that. I've been thinking this week, you know how you know if Jesus is a means to an end? I've been thinking a lot about my own life. One of the primary ways I think that Jesus becomes a means to an end and it's evident is when you only pray when you want something, right? And this is, this is no, not pointing fingers at anybody, but this is actually for my own life. I realized a number of years ago that I was beginning to realize that Jesus was becoming a means to an end. And the reason that I knew that is because I would only pray when I wanted something. And my prayers were shaped purely around when I wanted to get something from God and not simply just being with God. And imagine, imagine human relationships 
if that this is was was how to roll think about human marriages and family and all that goes into a relationship if you are only in relationship with somebody when you want something that relationship will be toxic it will be destructible and i think about oftentimes how i've come to god and the only times that i come to god is when i want something i think this is a great indicator of kind of the prosperity sometimes we want uh, in which in, in the place we want God kind of to take us. And obviously we could talk about money in and through this. Um, you know, the prosperity gospel that has taken prominence in the Western world and especially in, Mer- in America over the last number of years. This fallacy that if you somehow just give, that ultimately you're going to get and you're going to be blessed and prosperous. Um, I look at Jesus, who for the majority of his life was pretty much homeless as a traveling evangelist. I look at Paul, who had was probably the greatest Jesus follower when you look at his writings and his pursuit of Jesus. And yet there wasn't much of what we would look at as prosperity in their lives. I look at our own life, and I've been thinking this week even about our own story, Heather and I's own story. Um, You know, when it comes to money, we've just been these people that have really tried over the last number of years, not in a virtuous way, but just tried to be generous. And I always think it comes back to you in such different ways. It's often easy to want to use God to be a vehicle to prosperity. And yet in our own lives, we've seen that it's way different than what you think. One of the things that we've seen through generosity over the last decade or whatever is that we've just been simply relieved from the love of money. We drive a 2012 caravan. Come on, somebody out there. You just need to be set free or a 2009 Ford Flex or whatever it is, right? It's different than what you think. God is not a slot machine and he is not a genie in the bottle. And we need to be reminded, obviously, that there's blessings in God's way, in God's kingdom, but it's often different than what we think And we need to guard ourselves from prosperity being this, Jesus being this vehicle towards prosperity. I think this is what Screwtape wants to do. He wants us to get us to think, listen, the the end goal is something worldly and God will get us there. And how this has left people empty over the last, at least from what I've seen in ministry over the last number of years. So you have this this means to an end of prosperity. Uh, prosperity. And then I think you also have this means to an end of politics. Politics is an interesting thing, obviously, in our moment. I'll just say this, that the verdict is still contested on the Roman Emperor Constantine. Um, Many of you know that the first 300 years of the church, the church was very much under oppression and Roman rule, and they were very much persecuted. And it's interesting in that story that as the church was persecuted in the first 300 years, it flourished. It blew up. People joined in. uh, People came to Jesus in droves. In the 300s, there was this guy named Constantine who became emperor. And many believe, it's again still contested, there's confliction on this from historians, that he became a follower of Jesus. How authentic that was, we don't really know. But Constantine kind of became a Christian and made it more comfortable for Christians in the Roman Empire to the point where Christianity became the the major religion within the empire. With this, though, came consequences. You know, as the church over time began to get in bed with the Roman authorities, there were consequences along the way. Certainly it was more comfortable in that moment in time, less persecution, but there were other negatives that came along with that. Now, fast forward to to today. Jesus can become a means to an end in this area of politics. You know, it's been fascinating to see what's happened 
um, the last number of years, but especially I would say in the last decade or so with our brothers and sisters to the South, this isn't as much a Canadian thing, but just looking at our brothers and sisters to the South and how Jesus has become a means to an end to political power. You know, in my reading, it's been so interesting to see uh, the religious rights pandering over the last 60 or 70 years. I'm putting people in political power and gaining political power through politics and ultimately that being very run, running very close to the church and its leaders. I mean, even last week, and you know, with the election, I know this is to the south of us, we're Canadians, it's, you know, it is what it is. But even last week, there were televangelists and so-called prophets of God praying for a certain overturn in the, in the most recent election last week. And it's just interesting to see the unraveling of it all. Because why are they, why are they prophesying and praying in certain ways? Because Jesus is a means to a political end. And when that power is taken away, you begin to unravel. To the point, actually, and some of you will laugh at this because you've seen it, to the point where one Trump, President Trump, one of his evangelical advisors was praying in her church last week to the angels in Africa that will come and help overturn the election. And listen, I'm trying to be careful here and obviously trying to be thoughtful towards other people who think different. I'm all for that. But I think it just needs to be pointed out that in our moment, it can be very easy for politics to be the end goal, for power to be the end goal. And Jesus is a way that gets us there. And I'm not saying don't be politically active. I'm just saying that Jesus is not a means to our political goals. You have prosperity. Jesus, get me what I want. Get me to that place. I know this is kind of hard, but I also think of the political moment we can be in in our world where it's like the church runs very close with things or uh, spiritual leaders run very close with things to get towards a political end. I think we need to caution from this. And I think ultimately Screwtape would say this is how we do it. We don't get them to become drug addicts or uh, get into some financial scheme. This is what we do little by little. We get them to think that their God can get them somewhere that is the end goal. You with me? And I'll just say this. Politics, we don't have a ton of time here to talk about politics, but salvation was political in the first century and in its moment. And the kingdom of God was and is political. It's not that we should just ignore all politics. It's just the Jesus politic is much, much different. So I'm not saying don't be politically active. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is it's so easy for us to run into a place in space where Jesus wants to get us to a desired end that isn't necessarily him. We need to guard from that. So you have prosperity, you have politics, and of course you have power. And these things all run together. You know, power can be expressed through politics, but Jesus as a means to power can be manifested in all sorts of ways. It can be the business person who uses Jesus to get what they want, to get get money and status. And it can be the church planter who comes to a city with their hot new vision, ultimately using Jesus to build their platform and their brand. And I, I just think about this, the whole idea of power. None of us are immune to this kind of power. And Screwtape would love nothing more than to get us to slowly use Jesus as a means to an end, which is power. And when we look at the Bible and when we even look at what Jesus is doing in Mark 10 and Mark 1 is the disciples have a certain vision of getting somewhere with Jesus and Jesus really squashing that. I think one of the things that the cross does 
is it absolutely obliterates this idea of power. Paul dealt with this in the New Testament. As he's dealing with churches and his, this church in Corinth especially, he continually had to remind them that this message is absolute, utter foolishness. That God would die and become king was like laughable. It was a joke in the Roman world. And yet Paul continued to say, this is God's way to victory. Not through power, not through politics as we know it, not even through prosperity and accumulating but of self-sacrifice, of giving your life, of almost in a way culturally of looking like you've lost, this is the way in which God wins. And I think one of the things this does is it eliminates, it begins to eliminate the idea that all of a sudden God is a means to an end of something better. I think of the cross and what it does. It really draws us into this life and shows us that Jesus, Jesus is the end. Elizabeth Elliot, she says it like this, to be a follower of the crucified means, uh, uh, to be a follower, sorry, of the crucified means, sooner or later, a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. The great symbol of Christianity means sacrifice and no one who calls himself a Christian can evade this stark fact. Or what about N.T. Wright? He puts it like this. When we speak of following Christ, It is the crucified Messiah we are talking about. His death was not simply the messy bit that enables our sins to be forgiven, but that can then be forgotten. The cross is the surest, truest, and deepest window on the very heart and character of the living and loving God. The more we learn about the cross in all its historical and theological dimensions, the more we discover about the one in whose image we are made and hence about our own vocation to be the cross-bearing people, the people whose lives and service the living God is made known. The, the cross in many ways just kind of crushes this idea of power or, or misguided power and trying to find an end in the world. And we need, obviously, to talk about the church in power in our culture, especially a culture that's drunk on power and in need of an intervention. The church has too often become an enabler of power. And in many ways, I think as we look at the Western church, I know it's hard this morning, but this is, I think, one thing we just got to be aware of. I think the Western church can often be an enabler of power to get people somewhere where Jesus isn't the end. In many places, churches openly affirm the way what some scholars would call from below. Instead of being told how desperately I am in need of God, what can happen is we can create this narrative that I am repeatedly told how much God needs me. And just do it for a second. Go to Instagram and flip through the one-minute wheels of pastor people talking and you realize often what we can do is shape a narrative where God needs me. Lady named Marva Dawn, she puts it like this. Many evil powers are tempting the church today. Number one is the power of personality. I call that an evil power because many pastors depend on their own personality to attract people. It's an evil power that pits personality against the force of the gospel in Christ alone. And so with all this said, brothers and sisters, Screwtape wants us to engage in God in a way that gets us to an end, which is the world. Screw tape, ultimately, you can tell as he writes Wormwood here, he wants the world to be an end, and he wants us to slowly and surely drift from Jesus as the telos and the end goal 
towards something else. And I get it. It's sobering. But here's the thing I think. I think we need to talk about it as well. We need to put it before us with our spiritual eyes that we begin to see how easy and subtly these things can creep in. So let me just remind us, okay, as we close, let me just remind us, Jesus is the end goal. Life with God is the end goal. This is why actually, if you've been around practice for a while, this is our actually our number one value, life with God. God is not some means to get us to somewhere else. God is the end. Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship with this triune God, doing and living in relationship with God is the end goal. And you know, I've been thinking this week, um, and I don't know if this is a great example, our relationship with God, but I think about my kids and them being with me. Um, I don't want them just to come to me all the time asking for stuff. I mean, that's part of it. As a dad, they come to me and ask for things. And as I think a good father, I give them things, things they need, right? Maybe not always what they want, but things that they need. I hear there's a PS5 out this week or something. Things they need, right? But I think about this relationship with my kids. I don't want them just always to be asking me for stuff so that I can get them somewhere. Part of my heart is to see them flourish and thrive as humans, obviously. But I want those moments. I want those moments with them on walks, taking them to hockey practice, seeing them look over their shoulder as I watch them play. Again, going on hikes, playing out in the front, spending time with each other, reading together, all these things. I want them. And ultimately, God wants us. He wants relationship with us. And we have to caution ourselves from the slow, little, um, subtle draw away from God towards the world being a, an end. Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is the king. And let's keep this before us as we live this out and keep uh, reminding ourselves that ultimately what Screwtape wants, he wants us to lead us down the rabbit hole away from God and towards the world. You know, one of the things I've been thinking is I just want to pray, pray for us. And again, we have prosperity and politics and power, and there are many other ways in which Jesus can be a means to an end. But I just would love to pray for our community in this particular time um, and how God continue to work in us to be aware of these things. You know, for some of you, as we've talked about the reality that often what puts on display whether Jesus is a means to an end for us is us only praying when we need things. I know that like that's a weight for some of us because we feel it. There's no condemnation, but I just think that's a weight for me in my own life. Do I only pray when I need something? God wants relationship with us. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray right now um, in these unique times, God, that you would help us to be aware of the little schemey ways in which the adversary wants to draw our attention. And Jesus, may you never be a means to an end. I pray in this community that you would continue to reign as the end. Pray for my brothers and sisters in this community. I pray for each family, household, that you would just make us aware of these things. And even as the disciples, clamoring for more power and prestige, may we follow you, Jesus, through the cross, which is the hard way, which is the narrow road. May you help us walk that narrow road. Pray these things in your name, King Jesus. Amen.